You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. And welcome to episode 322 of the Earth Station DCU. Tonight we're going to talk Batman Superman World's Finest number 11, Batman Fortress number 8, Black Adam number 7, Stargirl The Lost Children number 3, The New Champion of Shazam number 4, Batman One Bad Day, Bane number 1, Batgirls number 14, Nightwing number 100, The Flash number 791, Monkey Prince number 10, Lazarus Planet Assault on Krypton number 1, and... The Flash, Season 9, Episode 1, Wednesday Ever After. But before we get into that, let's talk some DC news. Alright, Cletus, first up for DC news. Starting with June 6, Poison Ivy number 13 by writer G. Willow Wilson and artist Marcio Takara. The series will be ongoing, outlasting the 12 planned issues of the limited series. And from the looks of things, Ivy is heading back to Gotham City for a reunion with her on-again, off-again lover and best friend, Harley Quinn. Pretty exciting, Drew. And we kind of speculated that they really DC was clearly liking what they were seeing out of the book because it was supposed to just be six. And then they're like, yeah, let's make it 12. And that felt like, a, I feel like this might get extended again. And sure enough, now it's just an ongoing. Now, I don't think this is going to last a super long time. I do think it has an expiration date, but I do think it speaks to the quality of the book and how pleased DC is with the work that the creative team is doing, as they should be. I agree with you that it has an expiration date. A lot of these series that aren't the big three do have an expiration date. We've seen that. A lot of times it's around two years, I've noticed. since At least since we've uh, started our podcast, I've noticed that. Well, I, yeah, I mean, part of it is... You know, the difficulty that the the non-Big 3 have in maintaining their sales numbers. But also, and, and I think on top of that, going like hand in hand, is it's hard for these characters to survive multiple events. It just is. As long as DC continues to do major event after event after event, which they are, we both know they will, minor characters can't survive that long with ongoing books. They just can't because the... At some point, they get screwed with too much by the event and the readership drops off or whatever. Whatever. There's too many other things the new event prioritizes and they're like, well, if we have to prioritize this, something's got to go. So, yeah, I agree, Drew. It's just I, I am glad I just I this book I thought was well suited to be a sort of temporary ongoing because as nice and concise as the first arc was, it wasn't like. It didn't feel like you had to only tell that story. Like Human Target, for example, feels like a 12-issue story, right? Like you would be telling a completely different story if you kept going. Whereas the the first arc we got with Ivy was good and was, again, very focused in telling its story. But you could clearly see how you could keep telling that story if you wanted to. And I'm glad that DC has just kind of pounced on the opportunity to do that. And also, frankly, it keeps Wilson in their roster. I don't know if she's perm like if she's got like an exclusive contract with DC. I don't think she does, but she's a great writer, and giving her work with your company is a great way to retain that talent. Sure is. 
they got a great creative team on that book right now, so I'm glad to see it continuing. All right, up next for DC News, uh, the Flash showrunner Eric Wallace has confirmed that the Legends Tomorrow team will appear in an episode of the show's final season. I'm not surprised by that at all, Cletus, because I was expecting them to show up. It gives them an opportunity to kind of wrap up their story. Yeah, I agree. Well, and this, I mean, in many ways, this season, this final season is not just the final season of The Flash, but is in many ways the final season of the CW-verse. So I agree with you, Drew. It makes sense to have the Legends pop up. You know, a number of the original Legends came from that show, too. So it makes sense. Why not include them? I look forward to it in the sense that I look forward to those characters getting a tiny little bit of closure. That being said, Drew, I... (laughs) I'm not expecting a good episode either. No, I'm not, I'm not expecting a good episode either. So, but uh, you know, the Flash has become what it's become. So, <laughs> yeah, as, as we will discuss later in this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up our news for this week. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll do our comics talk. I'm George from the Metal Geeks. I just wanted to let you know if you're looking for a place where we can chat about the coolest and the geekiest of things, comic books, movies, especially heavy metal, then you're not looking for anything else except for our show, Metal Geeks, where I'm always right and Carrie sometimes right, especially when it comes to movies. We're there having a good time, me, Dave, and Carrie, talking about geeky stuff and metal. I repeat, metal meets geeky, Metal Geeks. What will you do when your child asks? What were Saturday morning cartoons? What were Saturday morning cartoons? What's wrong with you? Or will you handle it the right way? Sit down, baby girl. Let me introduce you to my friend, Mark McRae. Join Dan Clink and I on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast as we take a unique behind-the-scenes look at the history and dynamics of animation with plenty of laughs along the way. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a proud member of the ESO Network. And we're back, but before we get into this week's comic books talk, we gotta let you know, there's gonna be spoilers. We got spoilers, 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 we got spoilers for you. We got spoilers, 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 we've got spoilers for you, for you. All right, let's talk Batman, Superman, World's Finest number 11. 30 minutes ago, the key injects Boy Thunder with a truth serum of his own design. The key unlocks the location of the Fortress of Solitude from David's mind. The key is after the ship that brought David here from a parallel Earth. In the present, Batman confirms that the Joker is still alive. Superman is not happy that David almost killed the Joker. Kid Flash and the rest of the Titans take Joker to Arkham's medical bay, and Batman goes after the key. Superman and Robin accompany David to the Fortress of Solitude. At the Fortress, Superman takes David to a device designed by Professor Kimda of Kandor. It is designed to nullify the body's ability to absorb and process sunlight into energy. It will take away David's powers. Before Superman can throw the, the on switch of the, of the Kandorian device, a stampede of animals from the lower level of the Fortress barge into the room. Superman takes care of the animals 
Why Robin and Boy Thunder Go After the Key Robin and Boy Thunder find the key who's brought allies to help them. Bag of Bones, Acid Master, Dr. Phoenix, the Abominable Snowman, Zebra Man, and Ferlin Nixley, and his Devil's Harp. The key pushes Superman into, into the Kandorian device and takes away his powers. It will wear off shortly, but for now Superman is powerless. Boy Thunder hits the villains with a blast of his powers. They're burned, but not dead. The key finds David's ship and activates it. Boy Thunder tries to stop the key, but the key tells Boy Thunder to freeze. Boy Thunder can't move because the key instilled a paralysis command in his mind. The key points a gun at David's head and is about to kill him when Batman shows up to save David. Batman presses on the back of David's neck and resets his nervous system. Batman calls it the Hanu Kahad Touch, something he learned from Talia al Ghul. Once free, David goes to kill the key, but Superman talks him out of it. With the ship activated, David starts to vibrate along with it. There is no way to stop it. David accepts his fate and disappears into the multiverse. In the epilogue, David's ship lands on a place where he meets a creature that has been waiting for him. His name is Gog, not the end. Next, Robin and Supergirl go on the date from hell. Drew, I was confused by... I thought they took away his powers and then he, but he then had his powers still. That scene really confused me, Drew. I, the, I thought the scene portrayed it as he, he had f- like fully lost his powers and then he didn't. I know that was kind of confusing too, because they stated that it takes away the ability to absorb sunlight. So Superman being pushed in there, you would think he would lose that ability, but only drained him of his powers temporarily or, or whatever. I don't know if it, if he wasn't in there long enough for it to happen. I don't know. I was confused by that myself. Well, not just him, but David too. Like I thought I swore I, they showed him full, like fully taking David's powers. No, they didn't take David's powers. It got interrupted. The, it got interrupted because the animals came in. The key interrupted it before they even could do it. There was too. There was like red smoke and stuff going on, Drew, that made that unclear that they hadn't actually done anything. I obviously realized that they hadn't when he continued to use his powers, but that was the thing that really confused me. I was like, wait, you, there was stuff in the artwork that I thought visually communicated that they were doing the process, and then he didn't. It's fine. I'm not shocked that he didn't lose his powers, um, but I just I, that whole thing, both him and Superman, was I thought really unnecessarily unclear you know what i mean like for something that i didn't think was that vital to the plot i don't know why it was it could have been a little more clearly communicated yeah i'm not going to disagree with you on that because the fact that superman went in, into it and it didn't take his powers fully confused me because why would it take away david's powers but not superman i don't know it, i found it confusing myself i knew david didn't lose his powers, so that didn't confuse me and of course, I probably didn't pay as close to the artwork as you did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, clearly he didn't, Drew. And it was just one of those things. I just didn't think that that page did it. Those two, between him and Superman, I just, unclear. I just thought it was it was too vague and it didn't need to be. I was also trying to figure out with that, that twist at the end, Drew, that seemed to suggest that he was going to become Magog from Kingdom Come was such an out-of-left-field twist. It was like, wait, what? 
And I kept reading the comic being like, and how is I, how are we going to get to that point? I kept waiting. And then it didn't really happen. And then we got to the end and we got Gog, which was, if I'm remembering, I never read this comic, Drew, but at some point, Jeff Johns did a follow-up in JSA called Thy Kingdom Come. And I believe Gog was a character in that, like Magog was supposed to become that person. So I will admit, I don't have complete knowledge of that because I have not read that story. But that was seemed to be what we were getting at the end of the book, and that frankly left me more confused than the last issue. <laughs> I haven't read that story either, so I I have no knowledge of that either. And it's been quite a while since I've read Kingdom Come itself, so I'm a little rusty on that. I have not gotten to read that story. We've had a lot of issues to read, as you're well aware from this week's yeah. <laughs> list. What I'm really really caught my interest was at the end of the comic where it's i even included it in my notes here next robin and supergirl on the date from hell they kind of hinted at some date they had uh a while back in the series and uh you know i've been wondering about it i wonder if that's the date we're gonna see guess we'll find out yeah so i'm excited about that (laughs) so i'm not not surprised that you know david's out of the picture now and we're moving on from that so i'm uh i'm looking forward to the next thing All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Batman Fortress number 8. Batman and his crew wake Superman up from his suspended animation. They inform Superman that the Earth is under attack. Superman explains that his plan was to protect the Earth. He had hoped the aliens would have concluded he was no longer here and leave. The aliens show up at the Fortress of Solitude demanding Superman be turned over to them for crimes committed against their people by the House of El. They have been tracking Batman's biosignature since their encounter in the Arctic. Batman and his allies refuse to turn over Superman, except for Luther who offers the aliens kryptonite to subdue him. Batman reveals that the kryptonite is a fake. The aliens do not take kindly to Lex's betrayal and kill him. Superman surrenders himself to the aliens to prevent further bloodshed of his allies. Batman accompanies Superman to the tribunal and speaks on his behalf. Superman is allowed to return to Earth without his powers. The Kryptonian molecular chamber could not only take away his powers, but can transfer them to another being as well. Batman has been entrusted with these powers and states he is going to do things differently. Batman will not be bound by an oath never to interfere with human history. It is time for Batman to step out of the shadows, out of the darkness, and light the way. True, what the hell, man? Oh, my God. I want to be clear. My opinion of this comic has been very consistent this whole time. We're like, I think it's been terrible, but I couldn't look away because the plot had me guessing. Like, I don't know what's going to I want to see what's going to happen next (laughs) because things just keep coming completely out of left field. And this one was no exception. I completely lived up to what I thought where there was just going to be some bananas decisions by the creative team that make no sense whatsoever. I... Drew, it's I I feel conflicted because like from it's not a good comic. And on that hand, I have a hard time recommending it. But on the other hand, I also do think people should read it because it is so off the wall. Like it is just wild. Some of the decisions that they make in this book. It's just crazy. The they Superman doesn't appear in the whole book. He pops up right at the end. He's the crux of the whole story. And theoretically, this tribunal scene should be important. Let's just not even show it. We're not even going to write it. (laughs) 
will have a character so powerful that he can fold any person into a cube at the blink of a thought, right? And then just not use that power again. Uh, <laughs> and then Batman getting... Drew, I think that the end of the comic was meant to be hopeful and uplifting. I, that read very dark to me, where Batman getting Superman's powers seemed like he was about to establish a new world order under himself. But they like they put him next to his son and made it seem happy. And I was like, that, this doesn't read happy to me. To me, it didn't feel like a new world order to me, but it, it felt like Batman was going to do stuff differently. Like one of the first yeah, things he was going to be involving himself. What, what's that? Correct, Drew. By he he says explicitly he's going to directly involve himself in the affairs of the world. Like I I don't see how that's not even if it's not officially and directly making himself the leader. He's doing what Superman won't do and essentially determining the status of the world and the general flow of what's going on. That's true. That that could go that could go sideways very easily. That's what I'm saying. Again, I'm not saying that the the book absolutely was meaning to portray it as a good thing, right? That like Batman appreciated Superman, understood the honor of having these powers and was like, "I'm going to do it my way." But the things that he was actually saying were like, "That sounds bad. That sounds bad, and that sounds bad." But <laughs> but you're saying it all happily, so I'm not I'm not sure that the book thinks it's supposed to be bad. Well, one of the things he said he was first one was, first was going to do was interfere with human history. I'm sure he was going to go bring his parents. I think he was going to go bring his parents back. I think that was the first thing he was going to do. Sure, but again, you don't like the the slippery slope of that, Drew. Yes, you're right. I mean, he could very easily become Homelander. <laughs> I, I just it was wild to me I'm not even complaining like, I think you can write that ending that, that's totally fine and I believe that you could Batman could think that way too and I'm not saying necessarily he will slip down that slope but I was just shocked Drew because I felt like the book wrote that to be a 100% completely happy ending and I was like I really am not getting the same vibe that the writers did out of the scene I just what a wild book I just bananas I loved it <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Black Adam number seven. Malik searches through his apartment looking for Black Adam's ring, but he can't find it. Malik tells Sargon, king of the Akkad, that he thinks his sister pawned it. Malik transforms and goes to Shep's office looking for Black Adam. Malik tells Shep his new superhero name is Bolt. Shep says no. Isn't that a dog's name? Shep tells Malik that Theo's last GPS signal came from the warehouse district. Malik finds a warehouse lined with mirrors. Malik transforms back into himself because it's so bright. Black Adam is not there. Malik finds some sort of virtual reality that has a good version of Black Adam named Mighty Adam, who is wearing a white costume instead of black. Suddenly, Malik hears some screaming. Malik pulls off the VR glasses. Malik discovers someone stuck trying to come out of the mirrors. Malik pulls out the guy and discovers it is Mirror Master. Mirror Master states that the feds confiscated his death trap and stored it in this warehouse for study. Mirror Master had forgotten about it until Malik tripped a sensor. Someone had rigged it, and they are trapped and losing oxygen rapidly. Malik can't remember the magic word to transform himself and has to go back into the virtual reality world. When Malik returns, he yells Shazam, and the lightning hits the warehouse with a boom, knocking them both back. 
When Mirror Master gets up, Malik is unconscious. Cletus, what the heck is going on? My thoughts exactly, Drew. I I am very, frankly, frustrated by this book because I like a lot of the stuff that it's doing. I like this. The A Black Adam book is refreshing. It's been a long time since we've gotten one. This kind of focus in trying to tie it into, like, old Mesopotamian gods is fascinating. This new, currently called Bolt, although I got the strong feeling that that's not what they're going to settle on for his name either. He's an interesting character. Like, there's a lot to like that's going on in this book, but it is all over the map. It is just, every issue just goes in a completely different direction. There's almost no connectivity from issue to issue. It feels like it's all set in this story, right? And I think he's done a great job building this world of this Black Adam story because I kind of get what's going on. But, like, you, frankly, Drew, I don't think you needed to have read the last issue for this issue to make sense or not because it's, like, completely disconnected to a majority of what's happened beforehand. What, why is Mirror Master involved at all? What it, And I just it's just all over the map. And I know sometimes we talk about with these miniseries that they'll read better when they're collected, and I'm sure it is slightly the case, but I'm not sure that it's going to be any better when it's collected because there's just no flow between these stories. I'm wondering where this is going now, <laughs> honestly. So I, I got the feeling this character is going to stick around, but... And, you know, and introducing this character is important to the future of the Shazam fran- franchise going forward. Because I think they're going to do something with this character. But, like you said, this story is all over the place. And uh, I'm not sure exactly where it's leading to right now. It's kind of confusing. Good putting it politely. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to our next title for this week. Stargirl, The Lost Children, number three. Stargirl was rescued by the sidekicks. Wing... Airwave, Cherry Bomb, and Robbie the Robot Dog. Stargirl takes to the air to see if she can find where the eggs took Red Arrow. Lightning knocks her out of the sky, and the sidekicks must save her again. The eggs come for them, and the sidekicks decide they must regroup with the others. The sidekicks take Stargirl to Hangman's Treehouse, a secret cave behind a waterfall. There, Stargirl learns that there are a lot more sidekicks. Blue Boys, Little Miss Redhead, the Newsboy Legion, TikTok, John Henry Jr., Molly Pitcher, Betsy Ross, Ladybug, Salem, and WizKid. Suddenly, Corky Baxter, the Time Master Kid with the raccoon hat, shows up and states he has come to save them all. Corky reveals that this island is outside of time. On the other side of the island, Red Arrow is imprisoned in a dungeon. She wakes up to another prisoner talking to her through the stone wall. Before Red Arrow can learn anything more, a woman with a creepy white mask purple hair and chicken legs enters her cell. The woman calls herself the Childminder and this is Orphan Island. The woman blows a powder in Emiko's face and she forgets where she is. The prisoner in the cell next to Emiko reveals herself to be Judy Garrick, daughter of the Flash, Jay Garrick. Drew, I, I like this issue, but I have to say I am unsure of what John's plans might be with this coming out of this book, because to be frank, it's too many characters. It just is. There's no way he can make all of them work. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to try. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know what he's going to do following the conclusion of this mini story, but it's, 
it, it just is, Drew. It's too many. And I, I'm hoping that he's not going to try and eat the whole pie, so to speak. Yeah, I don't know what he's planning to do with all these sidekicks. Obviously, they're not going to all be one big group and team or something like that. But I have a feeling he has a few characters he's going to pull out of the out of these from these sidekicks and bring them into whatever he's going to be doing with Stargirl. I don't know. I got the feeling that Judy Garrick was supposed to be an important character in this. Oh, yeah, for sure. No question. I, I definitely agree with you there, Drew. And logically, he should just pull a few of them out, Drew, but... I just, when he showed the whole room and then he made a point to really kind of at least name, I thought more than frankly he needed to. I was like, oh, buddy, please don't tell me you're going to try and develop all of these guys. I have a feeling that they're going to save them and they're just going to, somehow they're going to go back to the time periods they were from or something like that. I hope so. Well, that's the other thing, Drew. I hope so because justifiably so, right? A lot of them felt from the time period that they're supposed to be and they're frankly outdated. And so some of those characters trying to make that like, make them happen, so to speak, in the, in the modern day setting of the book is just not going to work. And again, I, I, I'm not saying that he's going to try to do that. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know what he's going to do. Ideally, Drew, exactly what you said. The best thing would be to put a lot of these back in their main timeline and that maybe it's something that now that that character exists, some other person can revisit them in the time setting they're supposed to be in. But it's too many toys, Drew. He cannot play with all of them. Yeah. The other th- the other thing I can think of is they stop this childminder person and then the kid, the sidekicks just end up living on this island happily ever after or something. You know what I mean? He may not even bring them back. <laughs> Who knows? And just pull the characters he wants to bring back into his story with them. Because we know Star, we know Stargirl and Red Arrow are going to be returning. So it's also possible that one or two other sidekicks come with them and the rest could stay on the island too. That could be the other thing he's going to do. But we'll just have to see. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week. The new champion of Shazam number four. The Vasquez's home. Mary tells the others she is going after Darla. Mary transforms into Shazam and flies to the Fawcett Community College. As soon as Mary arrives, Dr. G comes over to the loudspeaker and tells Mary she knows who she is and has Darla captive. To get to Dr. G, Mary fights her way through crocodile monsters. Next, Mary runs into the other teacher assistants, who have their cell phones wired to themselves, giving them powers. The TAs chase after Mary and surround her. Using her magic word, Mary transforms into her human self, and the lightning fries the TA's cell phones, and they fall unconscious. Mary finds Dr. G's lab, where Uncle Marv, her parents, and Darla are all captured. Dr. G reveals herself to be Dr. Georgia Savannah, daughter of Dr. Savannah, who unleashed the Seven Sins. Dr. G reveals that she combined ancient magic with science to create Magitech. The circle of endings drains a subject of magic, then uploads it to a battery. The battery is embedded in a user, and they gain magical abilities. Dr. G further reveals that when a body is drained of its magic, it turns into a crocodile monster. If you slap a battery on them, you control the bodies. Dr. G reveals that she has three batteries on her and powers up her magic. Mary shouts Shazam, transforms, and her lightning takes out Dr. G's machine, freeing the others. Dr. G attacks Mary, but the bunny bites her on the back of the leg. 
Darla hits Dr. G on the back of the head with a rock and she falls unconscious. The school collapses on them, but Mary is able to catch it and free them. Darla tells the media that the new hero is not Lady This or Girl That. Her name is Shazam. At home, Mary hears someone shout, Shazam! Mary runs out into the green rain and yells, Billy, is that you? There are three shadowy figures in the sky. One of them seems to be chained to a rock in a gray-colored costume, but you can't really tell because it's shaded, while the other one is wearing white and the third black. Like I said, you can't really tell because they're all shaded. They're just different shades of gray, which I'm guessing one's Billy in red. One's, I'm guessing one of, one of them looked like a whiter costume, so I'm guessing that was Malik, and then the third one's costume looked darker, which is black. I'm guessing that was Black Adam. But anyways, the one in the middle tells Mary to stay away. Mary transforms into Shazam. Mary tells Freddy she is going to find Billy. The bunny is riding on her shoulder. The end, or is it? Find out what comes next for the new champion of Shazam and Lazarus Planet, We Once Were Gods. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that's who those three figures were. I think Billy was in the middle. Black Adam was the one that looked like he had a darker costume on. And then I bet Malik was the other one. At least that's what it felt like to me. I think it's a pretty good guess, Drew. I think the only one that could potentially be up for debate would be Malik, because we don't know what is going to come of that story exactly. But, uh, I mean, logically, that's who it would be, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can't. It wasn't any of the other kids in the house. <laughs> yeah, no, no, again, I agree. I, that's just, I think that's the only, I think that's the, I think you're right. I think you're three for three. But if there's any one that could be wrong, it's probably that one. I, I like this, Drew. I love the reintroduction of Georgia Savannah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. It was great. I, I I will I don't care that she's called Shazam, like taking over the mantle as being the main champion, so and that's called Shazam, so she's Shazam. That's fine, Drew. It did feel a little weird that they were focusing on it because frankly, Mary Marvel is there's not as strong of an argument for why that needs to change. Like some of the other ones, Drew, like changing from Miss Marvel to Captain Marvel. I, you know what I mean? Like in on in the Marvel comics, I can I get the argument for how that like focuses more on the character, takes away the gender. I get that. Mary Marvel is just literally her name. <laughs> so I was I, I thought it was I was a little surprised where it wasn't a thing like when Supergirl the show constantly kept like being like, well, what's wrong with the word girl? Again, you had girl there, and you could essentially say that it's it's you know lowering the rank so to speak. Mary Marvel didn't really have that. She wasn't Miss Marvel. She was Mary Marvel. And I almost wondered if... Sometimes I felt like the book forgot that she wasn't called Miss Marvel. <laughs> but Shazam is fine. I don't care. I really don't care. I hope they do more of this book. We talked about that my biggest problem, so to speak, with the book was like, I really like this. It's only a four-issue miniseries, and I'm worried that it's going to get, you know written out so to speak by whatever new fangled things they're doing with the events and we won't get to enjoy the status quo that this book sets up i i'm hoping maybe by teasing at the end that the story leads right into lazarus planet that maybe they are going to keep mary briefly as a as a central character but i am still dubious drew i don't think she's gonna stay the the main shazam so i didn't have any problem with them calling her Shazam here but I know Billy's going to be coming back and they're going to call him Shazam 
we can't be calling everybody Shazam. We need to have difference of names. I mean, DC's starting to do that a lot. We got the Batgirls called Batgirls. If you notice, one of the trends I've been doing is we, we have it with the Robins. We have it with the Batgirls. I've been calling them Robin Tim Drake or Robin Damian Wayne or Batgirl Cassandra or Batgirl, you know, I have to differentiate them so the audience knows who the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> so when we start saying Shazam, I'm going to have to say, you know, I'd have to differentiate so the audience knows who the heck I'm talking about. I have no problem calling her Mary Marvel. She's been Mary Marvel to me for a very long time. So, which I, I, I actually prefer Mary Marvel because I guess I've been calling her that for a long time. But I have no problem calling her Shazam either. But uh, when we get to, I don't remember what book it is. And one of the books we're going to be talking about later in this episode, they actually print Mary Marvel as her name on the page. So I'll point that out when we get to it because I can't remember what book it is now. But uh, I don't know if you noticed that or not. Uh, I didn't. Again, Drew, I I don't I don't care whether we call her Shazam or Mary Marvel. I again, the only reason I'm a little bit surprised that they were Shazam in and of itself is a newer title, right? Like he was always Captain Marvel until the new Fifty Two, and I get why they changed it to Shazam. I do. I don't know that they can change it back, frankly, especially with Captain Marvel on the Marvel side now being a film and more known to the general public. I think you kind of have to stick with Shazam also with your own movies with that. I just, I'm again, I'm surprised with Mary only because her, I don't feel again, like the, the arguments to be made against titles like Miss Marvel or she Hulk. I get those arguments. I, I don't know that that same argument applies to Mary Marvel because it's just her name. <laughs> you have a problem with that. Then you just have a problem with her name being Mary. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. You know, I remember I remember watching a car, I remember watching a comic in the 80s where we had Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr. and Mary Marvel in it. You know, it, it goes back a long way for me. So I'm just used used to them being those names. It's it's actually weird to me to be calling Shazam, not calling Shazam Captain Marvel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's taken me a little bit to get used to it, actually. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week. Batman, One Bad Day, Bane number 1. Bane is now a professional wrestler and has been off Venom for some time. In the ring, we see him fight another wrestler dressed as Batman. Bane finishes his appointment off by breaking his back. It's not real, just a performance. At home, Bane is relaxing in front of a fire, reading a book. A boy enters his home wanting to sell him venom surprised the boy tells bane he stole it from a place in texas bane throws the vial of venom into the fire and states never again bane grabs the boy by the throat and lifts him into the air with one hand bane tells the boy that he will take him to the house in texas and show him the person who is making venom bane tells the boy the story of how batman died bane and batman team up to eradicate all traces of venom in the world their investigation leads them to blackgate prison and a villain named grunge Batman distracts Grunge and gets infected with, a, with the Venom. Bane sets off an EMP. Batman dies saving Bane. To honor Batman's sacrifice, Bane must stop whoever is producing Venom. In Texas, Bane and the boy are watching the house when suddenly they are ambushed by guards. It was all a trap. The boy was sent to Bane with the Venom to draw him to Texas 
where Dr. Randolph Porter, Benham's creator, wanted to meet him. Dr. Porter attempts to experiment on the boy with a new version of with a new version of the Venom drug, but Bane attempts to stop him. Dr. Porter breaks Bane's back. Even though his back is broken, Bane still stops Dr. Porter. Dr. Porter asks how this is possible. Bane replies, if the bat can do it, so can I. Bane destroys the Venom and burns the place down. In the hospital, Bane is visited by Batman. Bane tells Batman that he has beat him again. Batman replies, he had been investigating, but Bane beat him there first. Batman states that even if he doesn't approve of Bane's method, he still did a good job. Bane tells Batman that breaking his back might have been his greatest accomplishment, but it has become the worst day of his life. Bane was the one who was broken that day. Batman tells Bane to share his life with others and use it to inspire good. Bane takes on the boy as an apprentice. The End I am shocked, Drew, that this is Williamson's story. Shocked. Uh, it just in no way has all of the same hallmarks that all of Williamson's stories have. Um, I smell sarcasm. <laughs> it's just it, it But in in all seriousness, it has. It, it's the same thing that he's done with a couple other heroes recently, in the same artist too. Where we get that we've had Deathstroke, we've had Ra's al Ghul, uh, we've had his the Grandma al Ghul. Where we take a villain and we're like, oh, but what if actually they're the good guy and we'll spend the entire story telling you that they're the good guy and then give them a good ending? Drew, did he understand the assignment? It's called One Bad Day and the entire comic is Bane fan fiction. <laughs> I know. And the main thing I got out of this is Williamson doesn't get the character of Bane. The only thing I the only thing I want to give him credit for, and I don't know if he did it on purpose or on accident. I want to I want to I will I want to give him credit and say that he did it on purpose. I thought that he sort of did a meta commentary on the fact that Bane as a character, from a publishing character standpoint, has never been successful as he was in Nightfall. Right, that he started out with such a bang, and that's sort of the problem is that when you break the bat. There's nowhere else to go, really, with that character. Now, King sort of managed to top that by having him be the one that killed Alfred, right? So now he sort of has two things in his legacy. And I thought that the story had a, tried to do something interesting with within that world, all, address that idea, right? That idea that Bane's never really managed to live up to that first story that he peaked and everything else since then has been downhill. So I liked that idea on paper. I just don't think he did a good job because his story is... He, he basically came up with that idea, right? Like, oh, hey, you know, from a character standpoint, Bane's never really been as good as he was in Nightfall. That's really interesting. What if we made Bane himself actually feel that way? What if he felt that way? That's an interesting concept for a story, Drew, and I think it's an ideal concept for a one-bad-day comic, right? And then his his solution to that was, ah, well, what should the comic be about? How super mega awesome Bane is, and then he rides off into the sunset happy. Literally rides off into the sunset happy. I just, everybody else has at least understood the assignment, Drew, in, in regards to what roughly they're supposed to do. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> but I just, I'm just, I, 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 how do you... I, how do you read the work of your peers? Now, not all of them have been good. Like, I didn't really care for the Two-Face one, for example. The Penguin one was interesting. It was okay. I really liked the Riddler. But, like, 
how do you read that and go, hmm, you know what we need to do is Bane's happiest story where he teams up with Batman, one-ups Batman yet again in a good way, in a in a friendly way, and then gets to go off and live his best life? That's no one, Drew, no one in the editor's room, none of his peers were like, hey, buddy, it's an interesting story, but maybe not for this book specifically? I guess not. I, st- I still find it ridiculous that Bane gets his back broken, can get up right away. If the bat can do it, so can I. Hey, well, The bat did it over the course of months, if not a year. Even in the movie, he did it over the course of months, Drew. And immediately get up and be like, I magically healed my back into place. My <laughs> God, dude, it's not that hard. It can't be that hard. Oh, man. That's why I, that's why I lost it when I was trying to read it, because <laughs> how ridiculous it was. But again, that's the whole thing, right? It's a, it's, it's one bad day, and instead we got a comic where Bane magically heals his spine in two seconds. I, it's just like everybody else got the general gist of what these books are supposed to be, and then he was just like over in the corner. I just don't understand. <laughs> oh man! All right, I, I think it's time to move on. <laughs> Nice try, Williamson, but you didn't get it done. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Batgirls number 14. Batgirl Cassandra Kane investigates in the evidence room of the GCPD thanks to the officer friend that's been helping the Batgirls. Cass learns that Clue Master's body disappeared from the coroner's office shortly after the death certificate was filed. It was suspected that Lazarus was involved in his resurrection. After leaving the GCPD, Batgirl Cass's investigation leads her to a lab where she finds some test tubes. Batgirl Cass is chased by some ninjas, which I'm guessing are from the League of Assassins. Lady Shiva shows up and slices through some of the ninjas, allowing Batgirl Cass to escape. Back at home, Cass opens the letter Steph wrote for her a few issues ago in case something happened to one of them. In the letter, Cassie finds a clue that leads her upstate to stone fence cabins. Cass rips off a piece of Stephanie's costume and wears it like a scarf around her neck. When Batgirl Cass reaches the cabin, Cass spies Stephanie tied to a chair with a bunch of electrodes attached to her. Stephanie is unconscious. I I like this issue a lot, Cletus, because we really don't have any speaking in it. So it's it's the story's mostly driven by illustrations. But one of the things I had hard time doing is interpreting what was going on, because it it was a little confusing that it was Cassie who went into the lab to get the test tubes, because at first I thought it was Lady Shiva, but then I realized she changed into a disguise, but they didn't do a very good job of illustrating her changing into a disguise. So. It was unclear at first. I really had to study the story to figure out exactly what was going on. I didn't know if you had any confusion with it or not. I don't know that I paid attention super closely to every single detail, Drew, but I felt like I got enough of the story to get what was like. We understood that she was investigating where Stephanie could have gone. Like, I understood what she was doing, and then we clearly understood that her mom comes in to help her fight off some of the ninjas, which was cool. 
I I really liked the silent comic for a Cassie focused comic. I thought it made sense to pair those two together. It worked for me. Again, I'll admit, Drew, maybe I didn't get every single minute detail, but I understood the general flow of the story enough that I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I did too. I enjoyed it. I because I, of course, when I was reading this, I was comparing it to the many deaths of Batman, which is a story way back in the '80s where. There's another. There was a Batman issue. It was all silent, which we actually we actually covered that a while back on one of our issues. We did. We kind of did a flashback because I wanted you to see that story. I don't know if you remember that or not. Which story? The many deaths of Batman. Remember that? That that was an issue we covered once. We went back to the '80s and checked it out because it was a silent issue. I don't know if you remember that or not. I think... Oh, I remember... Yes, but no, Drew. I remember that we read it. I don't remember it that well, though. So, I'm very familiar with the story because I've read it several times <laughs> over the years. So, But anyways, this issue reminded me a lot of that issue. So, I was kind of comparing it. But uh, that the older the older Batman issue I'm familiar with, I think was more well done than this one was. But... It was still good. I, I I really enjoyed it, and I think it really fit Cassandra's character with that with this being kind of her story, her investigation, and it being all silent. It really fit her character. Agreed. Yeah. Again, I think, and I think a difference too in our interpretation and enjoyment of the book is that I was just reading it, and you were reading it to take notes and recap. And that a silent comic is going to be harder to complete that agenda <laughs> yes because uh, i you know i enjoyed it as i read i read it through it the first time but then i when i come back through it trying to do my notes i was trying to figure out exactly what was going on so i i just had a little confusion there with the with the lab scene was where i had the confusion at so the rest of the story flowed really good it was just that yeah. lab scene that confused me because at first i thought it was lady shiva but then i then i realized no Cassandra actually, for I don't know what reason, changed into a disguise and went in there and then ended up back in her Batgirl outfit. I don't know. That was, yes, Drew, I will agree. That one flip, that costume flip confused me a little bit, too, where I was like, wait. I, I was totally, it made sense when we when she pops up and she's in her, not her Batgirl costume. I understood that that was her, and it made, like, I knew that that was still Cassie, and that made sense. And then when you have that like quick costume change back into Batgirl, it's like, wait, what? Why? Like, if if you were gonna do that, why didn't you just stay as Batgirl the whole time? Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our next title for this week: Nightwing 100. Heartless and his men attack the private prison at the entrance to Bloodhaven. The prison holds over 3,000 inmates, many who are in prison because of minor misdemeanors or who couldn't afford bail. The people who run the prison ruin lives for profit. Heartless opens all the cells and gives the prisoners guns and masks. Heartless tells them to create chaos and kill anyone that stands in their way. Heartless wants his new army to remind people that law and order have no place in Bloodhaven. Heartless frees Elephant Man and sends him rampaging through the city. When Nightwing hears the explosion, he calls Oracle and tells her that he's going to check it out. Oracle gains access to the prison's security cameras and learns that Heartless is behind it. Nightwing tells Oracle to initiate Operation Power Shift. Nightwing makes it to the prison. Nightwing addresses the prisoners and tells them 
that he knows a lot of them didn't deserve to be there. It was designed for profit, not justice. Anyone who doesn't want to fight a monster like Heartless can take off their mask. They can walk away or stay and help him. Many take off their masks and help. Nightwing fights against the rest. A boom tube appears behind Nightwing and the Titans are here to help. Starfire and Raven deal with the prisoners. Donna Troy, Beast Boy, and Cyborg handle Elephant Man and flash and mask the prisoners and make sure they don't slip away. Nightwing goes after Heartless. Heartless is with Tony Zucko. Heartless tells Tony that he changed his life. Heartless has a plan for Dick Grayson and wants to have Tony involved. Nightwing shows up and is attacked by KG Beast who dislocates his shoulder. Nightwing fights against KG Beast with one arm. When KG Beast gets back and tells Nightwing he is outnumbered, Nightwing just laughs because seconds later the Titans show up to join the battle. Donna Troy pops Nightwing's shoulder back into place. When the battle is over, Heartless has disappeared. He removed his mask and disappeared into the crowd. When Starfire hands Nightwing Heartless's mask, Dick Grayson has more to lose as written on the inside. Superman and Wonder Woman show up to help, but the Titans have already taken care of everything. Superman and Wonder Woman take Nightwing back to the destroyed Hull of Justice. While they are figuring out the future of the Justice League, they ask Nightwing to lead in guarding the planet. Later at Alfred's tombstone, Batman and Nightwing have a discussion. Bruce thanks Dick for saving him and apologizes if Dick feels like Bruce failed him. Bruce apologizes for every time he tried to push Dick away. Dick hugs Bruce and tells him, I love you, Dad. Bloodhaven, a day later. Dick tells his sister Melinda and Babs that the Alfred Pennyworth Foundation is buying the Bloodhaven private prison. A month later, it becomes new headquarters for the Titans. Drew, I have to be honest. I was a little bit let down by this comic, if I'm being... I, it, you know how I feel about art changes, and there was just too many. And how good the art is in this book, juxtaposed to a couple of the other artists they had do it, just did not do the book any favors for me. And then I wasn't wild about the plot. I liked the idea of Heartless basically unleashing a mega jailbreak and just total chaos on the city. But then it's resolved shockingly easily, Drew. Like, I was barely an inconvenience to the group, I thought. Yeah, I agree with you. It was resolved very quick. This is a pivotal issue that's supposed to hail in the new Nightwing slash Titans group going forward. Basically, not only did they want to use this issue to bring out, you know, kind of highlight that Heartless is going to become the focus of what Nightwing's doing, they also wanted to use it to show that the Titans are taking over for the Justice League and that their new headquarters are now going to be based in Bloodhaven. There was a lot going on in this. Yeah, there was. And I, I like the fact that the Titans came in, Drew, and the fact that they're building Titans Tower in Bloodhaven. That's cool. Don't get me wrong. I don't have any problem with that. The story itself just underwhelmed to me. It's not bad. It's not a bad comic. And it's definitely not one you should skip because it's too important. It is worth reading. It's just, it's a big issue, right? It's issue 100. And it just didn't, it didn't quite get to the level of expectation I had for it. Yeah, that's understandable. It wasn't a bad comic. It was... It wasn't what it what it should have been. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, The Flash, number 791. The West family recovers, except for Jay, who is frozen like the rest of their guests. 
Jay had used the tree as a shield, saving all of their lives. Wallace and Bart are confronted by a wall. Wallace has already tried running up it, but whatever it's made of, it's frictionless. Bart tries to vibrate through it, but that doesn't work either. Finally, the wall opens up. Jay Garrick shows up and tells the boys to get down. This is war. Wally finds Barry holding Iris's dead body. Wally tells Barry that they should take Iris back to the house because it's not safe there. Suddenly, both speedsters are fired upon. The speedsters split up, and the ship continues to follow Wally. Wally throws an object at the craft, and it destroys it. Jay, Wallace, and Bart are fired on by a tank. The trio dive out of the way and are surrounded by soldiers. Jesse Quick shows up, picks up the tank, and drops it on the alien, sol- on the alien soldiers. Jesse thinks the aliens are known as the Fraction. She remembers them during the crisis when she and Max were searching for Barry. The speedsters all return to the West House. Everyone is saddened to learn about Iris. On the alien ship, a woman named Miss Murder is released from her cell. She looks like a female version of the Joker who laughs. To be continued. Yeah, I'm not about that, Drew. (laughs) I agree with you. For this being an event that brings all the speedsters together, the reveal of the villain was kind of disappointing. (laughs) I don't want to say I wasn't surprised that I predicted that character, Drew. I absolutely did not. Zero percent had any idea they were doing her. But I wasn't surprised that it was an extreme over-the-top character because a lot of the art and direction of this story has felt over-the-top, if I'm being honest, in a way that I don't personally enjoy. And so when that character got revealed at the end of the comic, again, I didn't know it was going to be her by any stretch of the imagination, but I was like, yeah, that that fits. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, yeah, that's about what I thought was going <laughs> to I honestly don't know why they're bringing in a dark metal yeah. character, honestly. I, I There's a lot about this story. I don't totally get what they're doing yet, Drew. It's also... The pace, it's called the One Minute War, and for as explosive, literally, as the first issue was, Drew, we've not really covered a whole lot of ground, and we're allegedly 24 seconds into this One Minute War. All I'm saying. Yeah, I agree with you. (laughs) All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week. Monkey Prince number 10. A wooded area outside of Metropolis, Supergirl is punching Monkey Prince because she thinks he is working for the Ultra Humanite. Ultra Humanite fires a hard light projectile that is infused with synthetic kryptonite radiation. Monkey Prince jumps in the way, taking the blast, saving Supergirl. Monkey Prince is in half and must rescue his torso. Monkey Prince puts himself back together, but puts his torso on backwards so his butt is in front. While Monkey Prince is fixing himself, Supergirl takes out the Halter Humanite's gun. Suddenly, it begins to rain down Lazarus drops. Monkey Prince becomes itchy. Halter Humanite's crystal battery repairs itself, and his gun is fixed, but Supergirl breaks it again. Cries for help from Metropolis send Supergirl on her way to help. Monkey Prince transforms back into Marcus and goes home to take a shower. Marcus learns that his grandfather is really the Ultra Humanite. Downtown Metropolis is in chaos because of the Lazarus rain. A boy turns into a Medusa monster with snakes for his hair. Supergirl tries to help him but loses her powers. In the shower, Marcus loses a strand of his hair and it turns into a miniature Monkey Prince clone. It runs around the shower and then poofs out of existence. When Marcus learns about Supergirl taking on the Medusa monster, Monkey Prince appears downtown to help. 
Supergirl's power keeps coming and going as she tries to stop the Medusa monster. Monkey Prince starts feeding the Medusa snakes Monkey Prince clones from his hair. While battling the Medusa monster, Monkey Prince realizes it is his classmate Dennis. Supergirl states that the only way they will be able to stop this madness is by stopping the storm. Supergirl and Monkey Prince head back to the Hall of Justice. Supergirl sends out an alert calling all available heroes to report to the Hall of Justice immediately. Back at home, Marcus's grandfather is able to fix his phantom crystal lens using Lazarus Rain. With it, he can repair his phantom zone projector and finally free the ancient monkey god from his phantom zone prison so he can serve the ultra humanite. Back at the Hall of Justice, Blue Beetle, Cyborg, Power Girl, Xantana, Blue Devil, and Mary Marvel show up to help. Okay, so this was the issue they labeled Shazam Mary Marvel. I couldn't remember which one it was, but it was this one. I thought I thought that was weird that we had in the miniseries we're calling her Shazam, but here they labeled her Mary Marvel instead of Shazam. And I don't know if that's something the editorial should have caught or if they decided we need to start calling her Mary Marvel here. But I found it interesting. I feel strongly, Drew, that it's just two people on a different, like not on the same page. That's what I had a feeling. But I wanted to note that uh, they did they did call her Mary Marvel here. Drew, I'm grateful that you recapped this because I I read it and I was like I just we I needed to have read the first nine issues of Monkey Prince. <laughs> that was my main takeaway from this. I know that it was tying into Lazarus Planet, but like unless you're reading Monkey Prince, I you should not read this book. I would for our listeners who are wondering again, unless I said the same thing with with Dark Crisis, unless you are all in 100% in on Lazarus Planet. If you're reading Monkey Prince, you should read this issue. But if you're not reading Monkey Prince, there's no reason to read this. Now, and I included this in because it was part of the Lazarus Planet event. And I didn't know if we would miss something by not reading it. And obviously, we wouldn't have. Because we saw last week, in our issue from last week, the same thing. Supergirl basically calls people in. The thing that I've been frustrated in... By Drew, with this book and the book that we're going to talk about next is that, frankly, the first issue of this event is has covered everything we need to know and is set further down the storyline than anything else. Like this book, we're going backwards and has it really and we already have the information that we need. We don't need this book. And I felt the same way about the next book, too, where it was just like. What are we doing? Like, if the first issue was, I thought, concise enough, gave a really good start to the event. Now, I'm not enthused about the event, but I felt like it did a great job setting the table for what they wanted to do. And now the side stories that they've been putting to help flesh out the story have instead basically been like, oh, I'm sorry, were you expecting something beneficial? <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. Let's Let's go ahead and knock out. Lazarus Planet Assault on Krypton number one. This was not what I was expecting. We got four different stories in this. 
First one is called Gone Dark. Nia Null, otherwise known as Dreamer, has come to the Hall of Justice through Batman's dream. Dreamer tells Robin, Damian Wayne, and Supergirl that the future has gone dark. The only thing she can see is the future reflected in a golden helmet. Nia goes into a dream realm and finds Khalid playing doctor. Nia attempts to wake him up, but it's no use. Naboo begins to speak to Nia, guiding her to the Helmet of Fate. Dreamer is able to retrieve the helmet, but it looks like she might be trapped in a volcano. Only the beginning. Next we have a story called Electric. Superman John Kent catches a young man stealing a leather jacket. The Lazarus rain pours down and it affects both. The young thief gains volcanic powers while John becomes electrical and passes out. John wakes up at the young man's apartment. The young man follows John through the day helping him while still stealing more stuff. Eventually the young man tells John that he has lost his powers. John turns him over to the authorities and then later on the boy breaks out of prison and John learns his electrical cape has been stolen out of the trash. John finds a note that states, You ever had a really bad day? Signed by Ash with a heart next to it. Continued in Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number one. Next story is called Breakthrough. Lex Luthor and Mercy Graves are in the armory in LexCorp Tower when the Lazarus Storm hits. Mercy gets struck by green lightning and is thrown into one of Lex's battle suits. When lab animals are transformed by the Lazarus rain and begin terrorizing the Data Ops Center, Mercy goes down there to deal with it. One of the animals stabs her through the back with its mutant spiked tail. Mercy discovers she has powers. She transforms her hands into weapons to deal with the monsters as well as heal herself. And then the last story we had was called Day X Magica. Power Girl is working with Zantana and Shazam at the Tower of Fate, retrieving magical relics when they are attacked by Silverhorn King. Power Girl was rocketing him up when she when her life flashes before her eyes. Power Girl falls into a strange place where she finds the tombstones of the Titans, Dick Grayson, Donna Troy, and Wally West. Next, a ghost attacks her, telling her she is all alone and that nobody likes her. Finally, Power Girl comes across a woman named the Omen, who has psychic powers. Omen tells Power Girl that she has psychic abilities and the two talk to each other with their minds. To be continued in Lazarus Planet, Omega, and Action Comics 1051. So in the first story, we see that Dreamer, the, base, the basis of that story is Dreamer retrieves the Helmet of Fate, which we know is going to play an important part of stopping this Lazarus reign. The second story... I don't know why they're introducing a new love interest to John. That confused me. That wasn't even written by um, Tom Taylor. It was written by that somebody else. That was surprising, Drew. I read that and I was like, oh, that, I don't, interesting. I, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm curious to see where that story goes. I didn't dislike that character. I'm not necessarily, if I'm being completely honest, Drew, I kind of liked his personality better <laughs> John's current boyfriend, to be honest with you, but yeah, confusing to say the least. But I noticed the story wasn't written by Tom Taylor, so I'm wondering how, you know, is this character even going to come back? That was my that was my whole thing. Is Tom Taylor even going to use this character, or is this person that wrote this story introducing a character we're never going to see again? I I feel pretty strongly we're going to see this character again, Drew. So interesting. Then you know. The Lex Luthor story was basically just telling us Mercy Graves has got powers now. And then that 
the Power Girl story was weird too. Basically telling us that she has psychic abilities now, which I gather we're going to see more of in uh, Action Comics coming up when we get the new Super Family team. Basically, looks like John's turning into Superman Blue. <laughs> From the the old Superman Blue, Superman Red storyline. That's what I gathered. and then Which we've already revisited once in recent years, Drew. Which is wild that we've even done it once, let alone possibly a second time. So, <laughs> so I'm guessing that's what they're going to do with John to differentiate him from Superman. You know, give him powers that are a little different. And then it looks like we're going to do something new with Power Girl here too. Which it could actually be kind of interesting to have a Supergirl-like character that has different abilities. Yeah, I definitely, I, I totally understand, Drew, why they're doing something with Power Girl. I not, I'm not convinced it's going to stick, but I'm not surprised that they're trying something because she's an interesting character. She's never been, I don't think, the same personality as Supergirl, but they've always kind of had a hard time because like, she is basically Supergirl, right, and power set-wise, so... Trying to differentiate them more. Obviously, the costumes have been different. The personality has been different. And I guess the only thing left is to change that, too. So, Yep. Well, think if you think about it, Cletus, you know, we're going to be having this. Um, so we're going to be having Action Comics, which is going to be having Super Family stories in it. So unless you want to have, what is it, like eight characters with all the same powers differentiating them with different powers can give us some different stories. You know what I mean? Yeah. Otherwise we have eight characters that it's going to last long-term though. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It's probably not going to last long-term, but it's going to be something that'll probably last for a few years, at least, at least two, I would say, because that's what, that's what it seems like. DC stories are lasting your series and stuff were going on for about two years. Unless you're the big three. <laughs> I, I think one of the reasons that I'm not convinced it's going to last year is I'm not convinced that Power Girl is going to be consistently used. I feel like it, what's most likely is that she's going to fall off the roster again for, what, the hundredth time? <laughs> and then when someone brings her back, they're going to bring her back as Power Girl. Yeah, the other thing is, I think, isn't John's using Power Girl in his uh, Justice Society story too? I think so. So, we may have two different versions of her. Alright, well that wraps up our comic books talk for this week. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Flash. So, Brittany, Martha, <laughs> tell me about your podcast. Oh no. <laughs> it's like we're in sync, but also kind of a disaster. We are always a disaster. So our podcast is fun if you want to hear two people talk about and complain about <laughs> Stuff that a they lot of love and also hate and drink and drink and the show is and drink. called and the show is called and drink and the show is called and drink and the show is called and the only show where two guys smoke cigars and talk about nerd culture. Do you like movies, games, comics, sci-fi, pop culture, and beer? Do you like science, nerd news, explosions for no apparent reason? Then this is the show for you. It's like being in a nerdy cigar shop, but for your ears. 
check us out at CigarNerdPodcast.com. And we're back. Let's talk The Flash, Season 9, Episode 1, Wednesday Ever After. Barry wakes up from a nightmare where Team Flash is battling a lava monster and the whole team dies. Barry and Iris are returning to work after a week off. When Iris gets to work, Iris learns that Catco Worldwide Media wants to buy CCC Media and expand their global footprint. Iris is shocked and states she left her phone at home. When Barry gets to work, Captain Kramer asks him to become director of Central City Police CSI Division. If he can handle the extra workload while trying to perform his flash duties. Barry says yes and Captain Kramer puts in a recommendation to the mayor's office. When a transport is attacked downtown, the Flash shows up to battle Owen Mercer, otherwise known as Captain Boomerang. When Flash tries to take out Captain Boomerang with speed lightning, the captain creates a force field and then teleports away. Barry tells Iris about his map book. It is a record that Barry is putting together of everything that is going to happen to them in the future. Barry wants to catalog it. Instead of changing the timeline, they are going to just follow it. Barry tells Iris about his nightmares about not being able to keep her safe. When Iris wakes up the next morning, she is living the same day over again. Iris wonders what Barry did this time. Barry is also confused when the day is repeating itself. While fighting Captain Boomerang, Barry dies, and both he and Iris wake up in bed with the day repeating again. Barry and Iris realize they are stuck in a time loop. Team Flash figures out that Captain Boomerang robs a Cord Industries truck with a Roamer accelerator on it, a portable particle accelerator. When Barry's speed interacts with it, it creates a time loop. Barry and Chester try to figure out how to fix the device, but keep failing and the time loop continues. Barry and Iris have an argument about Barry's map book. Iris is not happy that she can't choose her own future. Barry has a talk with Joe and Cecile about his map book. Joe and Cecile tell Barry that the future is not something you can map and put in a book. The future is something that you create with the people that you love. When Barry returns home that evening, he and Iris have a talk and Barry burns the map book. When Barry and Iris wake up the next day, they bring bagels to CC Media. Iris unveils her plan to expand their media footprint by accepting a loan from Sue Dearborn to buy the Coast City Gazette. Next, Barry and Iris enjoy some time at the pool with drinks. Barry has fun doing a cannonball. After their pool time, Barry and Iris talk to Captain Kramer about Barry taking on the responsibility of being director of the Central City Police CSI Division. Iris ensures Captain Kramer that Barry will balance his time as Flash in the new director position. Finally, the Flash has a rematch with Captain Boomerang. Iris uses an energy weapon this time to stop Mercer. Captain Boomerang activates a nuclear bomb and then teleports away. Barry can't move the accelerator because it would cause an explosion. Instead, Barry vibrates the accelerator, causing it to be out of phase. Central City is saved with no radiation after effects. Joe figures out that Captain Boomerang is working with a partner. Joe has a talk with Cecile and thinks they should leave Central City. Barry gets an alert from Caitlin's phone. The woman before Barry, with blue in her hair, states she is neither Caitlin or Frost. She is someone else. Captain Boomerang returns to a warehouse where the audience learns that he is working with a new speedster, one with a bat symbol, the Red Death. Cletus, it's your favorite kind of episode. It's a time loop. Ugh, Drew, I, it, only this show could find a way to make 
I, I don't I can't think of any time loop stories I don't like, and they found a way to do it. They found a way to do it. I'm not surprised that they did, but good lord, Drew. I mean, <laughs> they didn't even really have. I didn't think they really even had a lot of fun with the time loop. They figured it out pretty quickly, right? And then we didn't even get really the fun part of the time loop, right? We just sort of saw them reset, reset, reset. With you know what I mean? Like we didn't see like. The, you know, like the 40th time that they're stuck in the loop and they know the routine and the, you know what I mean? Like the comedy that can come from that. Oh, yes. None of that. They just didn't really make any fun use of the story, but they made sure to hammer the joke over your head in case you didn't get it. Wait, Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day. Wait, am I the only one? I'm the quirky character that gets the joke. Ha ha ha. I'm also the quirky character that doesn't know how to throw a football. Ha ha ha. It'd be really cool if Cecilia's character evolved beyond just being the quirky character, Drew. Yeah. I gotta I gotta that's tell you. Seriously, that's the crux of her character, is huh, isn't it quirky that I can do stuff with my mind? I Drew, I just I hate this show. I like I don't know how else to put it. I they that might seem extreme, but like my mood was ruined the second the show was on the screen. I just there's I there's nothing I like about it at this point, and I that, I know that that's harsh. It might be ridiculous to some people, but it is what it is. I just can't stand it. I cannot stand where the show has gone. Barry is a blithering idiot, and I loved the scene where they're they're swimming and enjoying their day as a couple, and he does the cannonball. And he's like, do you see my cannonball? Because I know that that's meant to be funny. I know that that's meant to be a joke. But frankly, I thought was right in line with the level of intelligence that he demonstrated the entire episode. So, I do have to say, I did like the, I did like the new Captain Boomerang character they used in this. Because um, he actually had some powers. <laughs> some powers that seemed to be capable of being on level with the Flash. So I, I did like the new Captain Boomerang they revealed in this. I thought he was kind of a cool character. I didn't like the time loop stuff in this either. They did not have any fun with it at all. There's an episode of Stargate SG-1. Two of the characters are stuck stuck in a time loop, and they're they get they do, they start doing some crazy stuff just because they can. They you know they can't they can't get out of the time loop. They start they start playing golf through the base and. Just, and uh, one of the characters, like uh, General Neil, comes up and kisses Samantha Carter on the lips and just walks off. You know, crazy stuff like that. Stuff they can just do and get away with. You know, he sit. He comes in one time and I think he's sitting in the general's chair playing with stuff on his desk. And, you know, having fun like that. The, sh the show didn't do anything like that. And uh, it was a disappointed, disappointing missed opportunity, I think. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, the only other thing I want to add with this <laughs> is at the end of the episode when they tease this new, not Frost, not Caitlin character, and then in the like preview for the next episode, both Barry in the episode and characters in the preview for the next episode were like, wait, if you're not Caitlin and you're not Frost, who are you? And I wanted, I so wanted both times were like, I'm Freightland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be that'd be hilarious why why drew but honestly though why not 
it wouldn't even be the fifth stupidest thing they've done on the show recently. You know what I mean? Like, it's stupid, but, like, at this point, just lean into it. Like, why are we even trying? Why, like, at, why even try at this point? Just lean into it. Let's call her Freightland. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I, I watch it. I watch the show on the CW app. They don't show previews for the next episode, so I didn't. I don't even know what the next episode is supposed to be about. Obviously, it's gonna have the Red Death in it. <laughs> I know. I know the um, regular viewers aren't gonna know that. Our comic readers aren't gonna know that's the Red Death, but um, we know it's the Red Death because number one, we've read the comic. Plus, they told us in comic news, so. Drew, honestly, I felt like this this episode, I don't care because I know who it is. Also, I just don't care at this point. But for people who do still actually care about this show, I thought that they did need to do more to clarify that that was the Red Death and not uh, Reverse Flash. I know that they have that bat symbol pop up at the end, but otherwise there's a ton... Like, you have a red-eyed speedster pop up. You are trained from this show to think that that's Reverse Flash. Oh, I didn't even think about people confusing that with um, Reverse Flash. That makes a lot of sense, Cletus. Again, again, you and I and anybody who who has either paid attention to stuff coming out about the show or follows the comics, we know that that's Red Death, right? Like, comic people are going to know who that is. That's I don't think that that's a sizable portion of the audience. I think the show thinks it is, but it's not. I really felt like the episode needed to have done more to clarify that that was not Thawne. Totally agree with you. I didn't even think about that, Cletus, but you're right. They they did need to do more to clarify that. Just showing that bat symbol didn't mean anything. Except maybe tease that people think that maybe Batman was going to be on the show or something. <laughs> I could see somebody not knowing getting excited. Batman's going to be in this? <laughs> Right. Well, that wraps up another episode. Do you have a shout out, Cletus? Yeah. So I mentioned it when we were talking about World's Finest that Gog, not Mugog, but Gog, comes from a follow up story to Kingdom Come by Jeff Johns called Thy Kingdom Come. And again, Johns wrote it. Alex Ross actually did do some of the art, I think mainly covers. Again, I've not read it, so I can't speak definitively, but he is credited as an artist on the book. It took place on his Justice Society of America book, and it started in issue number nine of Justice Society and then ended in issue number 22. So a decent long run. It got collect and it had some different tie-in issues to it. I remember because I've seen it in comic book stores before. I've just never picked it up. It got split into three different volumes. I, I don't know if you can get it as one big collected volume or not. I would... I would think at some point DC would do that, but you can for sure pick it up in three smaller volumes. Um, but again, issue wise, it starts in issue number nine of justice society of America and ends in issue 22. And again, that's thy kingdom come and and Gog is, uh, the character that we see at the end of world's finest, uh, in the comic we read this week. If it's got any Alex Ross artwork in it, at all it's worth picking up and looking at it at least because he for sure did the covers i don't know how much interior artwork he did though his artwork is freaking awesome i've got a i've got a green lantern the greatest stories ever told sitting over across from me that's got an alex ross green lantern on the cover so (laughs) love his artwork 
Yeah, I agree. He's he's unbelievable. I it's I feel like it's been a long time since he's done anything other than covers too. Kingdom Come really was kind of I feel like one of the things that really really put him on the map, and then he's mostly just kind of <laughs> done covers since then. Yeah, and I can't think of anything he's done recently, at least not for DC. I know he was doing I know he was doing Marvel covers not that long ago. I don't know if he still is. He probably is. I again I will be I will fully admit my ignorance on that. But to my knowledge, he's just doing covers, which are good for him. Um, and they're phenomenal. Uh, I, I just I know I know a book by him is going to take longer because it's so much more work. But, man, I wish we could get another book out of him. I totally agree. All right. And for my shout out, Clisto and I went and saw the 25th anniversary release of Titanic in 3D. And it was amazing to see on the big screen again. Clisto and I went and saw it in the theater when it first came out. 25 years ago and uh, it's just a movie we've always enjoyed together but when we went and saw it last night in 3d things popped out that i never noticed before and it was just awesome now it's it's only gonna be in theaters for a week so by the time this podcast comes out sorry audience but uh (laughs) if you don't know about it already you're not gonna be able to see it by then but um i don't know if you and Aaron are into Titanic, but if you get a chance to go see it this week while it's out in 3D, I suggest going to see it because it was uh, it was awesome seeing it again in 3D. Hmm. I don't think I would have even occurred to me to have seen that movie in 3D, Drew. That's pretty cool. I actually didn't realize it was in 3D. I just saw it was back in theaters, and I was I asked Calista, "You want to go see it?" Because it's one of our favorite movies. We've seen it time and time again over the years, and. Uh, when we got there, she was like, uh, there's your 3D glasses. I was like, 3D? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, we went in and saw it. And man, seeing it in 3D, I noticed, you know, pictures of the sky. The, the stars stuck out more. When, when they're leaning over the ship, you can see the depth between the ship and the sea. Things just popped a lot more. It was, I, Cliss and I just really enjoyed seeing it in 3D. It was awesome. All right, if you'd like to comment on anything we've talked about tonight, you can reach us at our feedback line, 317-564-9133. Leave us a message, or you can email us at earthstationdcu at gmail.com. All right, Kalidas, coming up next week, we've got the Human Target, Blue Beetle Graduation Day, Tim Drake Robin, Batman One Bad Day Catwoman, Justice Society of America, Catwoman, Action Comics, Detective Comics, Lazarus Planet, We Once Were Gods, and The Flash. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store 
which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.